everybody. Thank you for listening. Thank you for listening. To the Outstanding Ohioan Show. Thank you for the Outstanding Ohio Show. Hosted by my daddy. Hosted by my daddy. Thank you, Ryan and Sawyer, for that great introduction. Indeed, this is the Outstanding Ohioan Show. I believe Ohio and the people of Ohio have an incredible, wide-ranging, and proud impact that needs to be shared with the world. And it's always been that way throughout the history of the United States. The job of the Outstanding Ohioans podcast is to share these remarkable success stories with an intelligent and curious audience. The Outstanding Ohioans podcast connects to highly accomplished people in all walks of life and shares their secrets to success. And today we've got another great success story to share with you. Thank you for listening. And please leave your comments on iTunes, Stitcher, or the blog post. Thank you for listening. Have a great day. Hello. Thank you for tuning in to the Outstanding Ohioans show. This is Ron Silico, and we are on episode 47 today. Today my guest is Dan Robinette, who is the sales manager of Umbra Sunglasses and is also an aspiring chemistry teacher. Dan, welcome to the show. Well, thank you. Dan, I knew you in your time in Miami. Uh, you did such a great job for us working in the Outdoor Pursuit Center. Uh, I, of course, haven't seen you much since you graduated, so I want to go into that a little bit. But first, I want to talk about, for the audience, where you came from and what, what was your life like growing up and who were some of your role models? Into it? Yeah, go ahead. Wow. Well, uh, I was actually born in Dayton, uh, Ohio. Um, I lived what I would consider a typical boy life. Uh, lived outside, always active, uh, always excelled in school, uh, always went to church on Sundays. Kind of, kind of grew up, uh, you know, kind of believing um, that the most valuable thing in life was to be outside. Um, it's kind of. Uh, Curse through high school, it was actually never, school was never really important to me. Um, and then just by the time I started to get closer to college, I uh, started to gain a little more direction. Unfortunately, not quite enough direction quickly enough. Uh, I spent maybe six and a half years at Miami University, which <laughs> I would consider my greatest years of, of my life. And uh, I've always told my wife if I could go back to any time, it would be my college life, but I think that's because you get to do whatever you want, um, you, you know, when you want, you're not that busy, you should be, but uh, there's so much freedom. Um, yeah, I think that there's probably my years at Miami that probably shaped my life um, the most. It's where um, I probably became most most focused on my spiritual beliefs, uh, probably became most clear on my political beliefs. Um, and just, you know, gained such a quality education from Miami. Um, you know, it was a time that I was really set up to be successful through the rest of my life. Great. Who are some role models, Dan, that just in general uh, through your life, uh, childhood, and then specifically, who who sparked that interest in the outdoors for you? Okay. Um, yeah, it's uh, kind of strange. Really, as a kid, I was not that into um you know, uh, a lot of the pursuit of the outdoors, like I like being outside, but I didn't really have a specific person uh, who necessarily pushed me in that direction. Um, but yeah, probably as a kid, uh, you know, I think like everyone else, I looked up to uh, sports role models. Uh, when I was young, it was Michael Jordan, uh, although I really wasn't that into basketball. Um, I, yeah, trying to think back as a young kid, I can't really think of a real specific role model. Of course, I looked up to my dad like like all children do. Uh, but really, like, the pursuit of the outdoors um, came when I was uh, a junior in high school. Uh, there's a guy named Frank Crockett uh, who um, he, he was a youth pastor at a local church uh, that invited me to go on this backpacking trip. It was my first like official long-term adventure into uh, the outdoors. And it was really from there I started to get more into it. Um, and then when I came to Miami, I took a beginning rock climbing class um, with Dave Patton, uh, who just, he was one that really taught me so much 
Mark Freeman as well. It's, uh, it was that that probably was my most focused pursuit of the outdoors, just kind of, uh, you know, from that climbing and uh, you know, having such uh, camaraderie with you know, some of my, you know, outdoor pursuits, uh, uh, you know, fellow employees like, uh, you know, Mark Steele and I became really close and been on countless adventures together. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right, and going back to some of your role models in your childhood, oh. what, um, can you can you share some names and what were some of the things you learned from them? Okay, let me think. I should have been more prepared. This, you know, this is a question I knew was coming. <laughs> um, I think this, you know, as a uh, as I started to grow up and get older, I said uh, my faith became more important to me. Uh, so there was uh, the pastor of my church as I grew up was named uh, Gary Trenum. Uh, and it's always just been uh, kind of a pillar of truth in my life. He's definitely one of the most caring and loving individuals I know. Um, I think some people view church as a place um, of judgment. Um, and Gary has always made it a place uh, just of love and of comfort. Um, and the truth as well, sometimes the truth is uncomfortable, but um, definitely through, through junior high and high school, uh, he was a person that, um, you know, I definitely, uh, you know, really, really, really looked up to. Uh, kind of because I got, I got older, I, you know, even now, it says, like, you know, as an adult, I'm actually having trouble thinking of who, mm-hmm. who I really, you know, looked up to in life. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I've always been impressed by, uh, my father-in-law, uh, his name is Keith Kimmerlein, uh, and just, you know, how well he has uh, invited me into, um, it really kind of, you know, it made me feel a part of things. Mm-hmm. Uh, again, you know, going back to my childhood, I, you, know, I, you know, I always look up to my dad, of course. Uh, I think as I've gotten, gotten older, I think in my teenage years, you start to rebel, but, uh, you know, as you age, um, you know, I kind of look back at a, a lot of things that, uh, make me the person that I am. Um, I'm from my dad. His name is Jeff Robinette. Uh, and then, actually, my stepdad as well. Uh, his name is Dan Storer. Uh, and, you know, he's been uh, kind of in my life for some time now. And again, it's uh, it can be a tough situation to kind of come into, um, you know, as there's, as there's family turmoil. Uh, and he's handled it really well. And again, he's been extremely supportive and extremely loving. Great, great. Wanted to ask you because obviously working in recreation, I'm so interested in people's answers about this. How did the how did being in the outdoors shape you and help mold you into the person you are today? Okay, uh, I, you know, like I said, uh, as a young kid, I wanted to be outside playing. I always enjoyed it. Uh, I think that's something that. Uh, younger generations are starting to lose uh, with so much uh, entertainment um, by technology on the phone that kind of losing that. But it's like I always find uh, a peace when I'm, when I'm outside. Uh, there's something about being it in nature, uh, you know, kind of that man versus beast type of thing. Uh, you know, I love, the, uh, I love to go fishing and there's that you know, tactical aspect of um, you know, knowing and understanding the behavior, uh, you know, of fish or, you know, of the wild, of the outdoors. And to me, uh, it's, it's always a time that kind of helps to center me. Uh, and, you know, it's that, uh, you know, again, the, the, man, the, the man versus nature thing that for me, rock climbing was always this challenge that was set before me. There's this rock that's been shaped by Mother Nature, and it's like, can you conquer it? Can you solve the problem? Um, so it, it's been, um, it's, you know, it's been a pursuit of something that I've always enjoyed. It's been a pursuit of peace, but also um, a pursuit of victory as well, like to do something challenging and to complete it and be like, I came through that um, a better, stronger person. Uh, I mean, I've been on a couple uh, rafting trips. Something the most intense was, um, you know, on the dolly, which can be a real quite dangerous place. It's, you know, to raft that and to come out the other side still alive, um, you know, it's a, you know, it's, it's definitely a thing that I 
uh, <laughs> victorious over it. Right. So in, those of us that have gone to college or are entering our professional lives, in a lot of cases we have this thought of, okay, I majored in this or I studied this, I, I've been trained in this, this is what I'm going to be doing. What What was your intention after you left Miami University, where where were you headed at that, at that point? Okay, um, I'll kind of step a little bit further back. Uh, I was never really uh, necessarily dri- driven in high school, and uh, I liked chemistry in high school. I was good at it. Uh, I enjoyed my my chemistry teacher was was really good. And so when I was going into college, my you know my my mom kind of said, "What do you think you want to do? What do you want to major in?" I said, well, I like chemistry, so I guess chemistry. Uh, I actually went to Wright State for a year and then transferred to Miami to continue with my chemistry degree. And it was about three and a half years in college, I started to think, do I really want to be a chemist? Is this what I want for my life? Uh, it, you know, it was not helped by the difficulty of organic chemistry. But I actually decided to uh, change my major, changed over to exercise science, which uh, was something that I definitely enjoyed. But again, I would never look far enough forward as a young person to really think of what do I want to be 10 years from now. Um, so leaving Miami, uh, I, you know, I didn't really have a really great direction. Um, and I, you know, I got out, I got a job at Starbucks, worked there for a couple of years, uh, was really engaging my education, unfortunately. Uh, and I got into uh, the field of spinal rehab. And actually, it was really great to be in a place that I could use my education uh, and be excited about it, uh, to share and to help other people. Uh, but it's just always been kind of a trump card in my life. Again, going back to my um, to my faith, uh, I, got the, I got the opportunity to go uh, to Turkey, in fact. Um, hmm. And I, uh, as, as an English teacher, uh, sent through a Christian organization uh, just to kind of be, uh, you know, a light uh, to the Turkish people and kind of be uh, a resource to them as well. Um, so, you know, primarily uh, an English teacher, but still to build a lot of uh, relationships, you know, over there as well. Um, and there's actually kind of in Turkey that, uh, you know, I met the, uh, um, you know, my partner in business with the Sunglass Company, so it definitely hasn't been a straight-pointed, directed path the whole time, uh, but, it's, uh, you know, I've always been drawn by that sense of adventure, uh, you know, just, you know, working in a relatively stable spinal rehabilitation role to say, I'm going to quit my job and move to Turkey to teach English, um, you know, that goes back to that spirit of adventure and, you know, wanting to do new things. And, it, you know, it, it's probably where I am and uh, it's probably to a great place to think. And at what point in this journey, Dan, did you meet your wife? Uh, so I met my wife. I was, I was out of college. Uh, I was working at Starbucks. So it was, it's been a couple of years out. Uh, and my wife was still in college. Uh, we had, we had, um, uh, two of our uh, mutual friends, I guess, were getting were getting married. I had a friend who went to Miami. Uh, she was friends uh, with a guy who went to uh, Ohio University. Uh, the two of them had met one summer and were getting married. So I actually met my wife uh, at their wedding uh, in 2009. Uh, and then we, uh, we, so we dated for uh, a few months, uh, probably not as many months as... Uh, some people would have thought before we got engaged, and we were engaged a little over a year. Hmm. Uh, and then we, then we were married in uh, 2010. I should I should know that for sure. It's definitely 2010. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So, so what? Going back to Turkey, what what years were you in Turkey, and when did you come back to the states? Turkey, uh, Turkey was uh, September. 2012 through June of 2014. Uh, so, and I was I was home for the summer, which is okay. really nice. You, uh, you never realize the strange things that you miss about your hometown until you're away from them for very long. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I was uh, 
And was your wife with you? Yeah, yeah, she was there. Uh, actually, we had been home for the summer, and it was the day before we were returning to Turkey. Um, uh, my wife found out that she was pregnant. Oh. And it was just really exciting to tell our families, but then it's kind of this, like, should we be going to Turkey? Should we be staying home? Like, you know, what's what's the best thing for our life or family? Kind of, you know, what is God's plan and all of this? Uh, we decided to, you know, that, uh, okay, let's go to Turkey. You know, if we don't feel comfortable, we can always come home. But uh, we found an amazing doctor there, uh, but a really great support group. Uh, and uh, you know, our daughter was actually born uh, in Turkey on May 14th of uh, 2014. Oh, wow. Yeah. That's it. Okay, so, you, so you're in Turkey, and, and I sense this is where perhaps professionally the your path turns a little bit again. You said you met uh, your your business partner. And you started yeah. talking about sunglasses. Can you walk the audience through what that process was? Of course. Uh, I think that uh, you know, with any business venture, I guess it is possible that uh, you know that you are already uh, an, an expert in the field of what you're going to do. But that's never been the case for me. Uh, but uh, you know, living living overseas, you tend to. Uh, you know, gravitate towards other Americans. We had a lot of Turkish friends, and it was uh, you know, it's a really great thing to spend time with other Turks. Uh, but every now and then, just want to sit around, speak English, talk about football and baseball. Uh, so uh, there was a there was a guy his name was Marvin Wilson, uh, and he was a yacht captain. Uh, it was building a yacht in uh, in Turkey, uh, and we had met at a Christmas party. Uh, at 20 in 2012, uh, and then we really kind of became friends more in 2013. Uh, he was there for a whole year to build this yacht, um, so he's very well connected in the boating realm, the yachting realm, uh, and had come across a uh, uh, a line of sunglasses which actually floats in water. Uh, so the frames have air cells in them. He was like, "This is amazing." You know, I've never seen anything like this. I, you know, I want this to be something in the state. So we started to um, uh, to move forward. You know, so he, this guy Marvin uh, was investing in this line of sunglasses uh, to be to be the representatives here in the United States. Uh, but Marvin has a, has a, a full time job. Actually, I think he has about six full time jobs. Uh, and he approached me about sunglasses. And at the time, I was like, sunglasses, okay, uh, sure, you know, let's find out more about them. Really, as I got more and more into it, um, you know, I started to become more excited about the product. There's actually a lot of different aspects of sunglasses uh, that I think people don't think about. You put them on your face, they block the sun, that's it. But uh, as I got into uh, the different qualities, the different types of lenses, uh, what what lenses are better for what different situations? I really got engrossed in the sunglass business um, and really kind of grasped it. And I tried to learn everything that I could about it. And uh, now I know too much, and I tend to bore people when I talk about sunglasses. <laughs> <laughs> I, I want to go back to the sunglasses in a moment, um, but I, but this question popped in my mind as you've been talking for, for people in the United States. What what are what what is Turkey like? What what what's the country like, and what are the people like? All right, um, so uh, the people are incredibly nice. Um, and that's something that I think that if you watch the news, um, you might think that Turkey is a scary place, um, and that you know I was I would tell people that's that's where I live, and they that you feel safe, you feel okay, and I said of course. And the reality is, if you watch the news here in the states. I would say America's a very dangerous place. You see all these, you know, all these crimes being committed. There's all these things like, do you feel safe in your home? And you're like, well, of course, I feel fine. Mm-hmm. Um, that's true that, you know, the news is going to point out uh, the things that are bad. Uh, there's definitely uh, turmoil uh, going on in Turkey, but the place, the place that, that I lived was um, a very nice place, a very calm place. Uh, the people are very kind. Um, for the most part, people are, are very trusting. Uh, you know, I never felt that I was in danger. Uh, you know, the, you know, 
you see someone, if you're walking down the street, and you're kind of suspicious of them. I'm, I'm not saying that never happened, but I was never at a place where I, where I fear, uh, you know, for my safety. I was never at a place where I thought I should not be here. Mm-hmm. Um, but as you think of what Turkey looks like, I think that a lot of people have trouble with that. Um, the area that I was in was very, was very mountainous. Uh, it was also on the Mediterranean Sea. Uh, and I think that people can envision the Italian coastline. Uh, you know, many people have been to Chiclaterra, uh, or people think of the Greek islands and how beautiful the Greek islands are. And the reality is that Turkey is the next country over. Um, and as you move through the Mediterranean coast, uh, you, you have beautiful areas in Spain, in, in Spain, France. You have beautiful coastlines uh, along along Italy, and you know, so on and so so forth. It's like Turkey has that same natural beauty, uh, but it's just kind of this, you know, unknown gem. Uh, it's a very, very craggy rocks uh, which go straight down it, you know, into the sea. So it's a absolutely beautiful, beautiful coastline. Hmm. Well, very neat. Yeah. Uh, how? What I I I've never done it myself, but what I hear people say when they go to foreign countries is the best way to learn the language is being immersed in it. Was that your experience? Yes. Um, I've, I've kind of come to realize that some people are, uh, pick up languages easier than others. Uh, and, you know, people would, would you know, we, we were there for maybe one or two months, and people said, oh, I assume you speak Turkish now. And uh, I said, no, not really. And um, if you don't understand anything, uh, it can be really tough to just start understanding. Mm-hmm. So, um, yes, being, in, being immersed in it is better, but it doesn't mean you just pick it up. It, it doesn't just start to make sense. Um, you know, but uh, if you worked on it, you could practice with everyone. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I was a little more motivated to learn because uh, most people didn't speak you know, English, so I really had to learn, learn Tur- Turkish. But once I started to learn, I would hear conversations and I'd hear little pieces and I would start to understand that. Uh, and that's the thing that if you, if I tried to teach you Turkish uh, here in the States, uh, you would hear it in the classroom and that's the only time you would hear it, you would not hear it in the world. Uh, where over in Turkey, we would have a lesson, we would learn Turkish and then we would literally hear it everywhere. We could practice with everyone. Uh, so that's definitely... Uh, the value of it, of being immersed. So, yes, it is better, but uh, it doesn't just come, you know, organically. It doesn't just pop up in your head, or at least it didn't for me. Right. And, and you were over there teaching English. Were you teaching it to children, adults, combination? So I was in, um, in the Turkish high school. Uh, my school was um, on the way to being an all-boys school. So my first year there, ninth grade was all boys, and then 10th, 11th, and 12th was uh, was mixed. Um, extremely wide range of uh, proficiency in English. Uh, I taught 22 different classes, and I had them once a week. So I was their conversational English teacher. Um, what I started to learn as an English teacher is I don't know all of the rules about English. I'm not really necessarily great with all the grammar. I can speak it well enough. Uh, but students would ask me really specific questions of what a rule was. I would say, I don't know. Read it to me. I'll tell you if it's right. Um, so, you know, I, it was definitely kind of an you know, interesting thing in that sense. But what I was teaching my students were the things that you couldn't find uh, in a book. I was teaching them a lot of the idioms and the colloquialisms. Uh, and I was teaching them different uh, pronunciations because most of my students had been taught only by Turkish teachers, and you know they had kind of a strange accent. I was that's not quite right. Uh, but I had I had students that could uh, where we could have long conversations about anything, uh, and I had other students that could not say, you know, my name is John. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it was definitely a challenge in that, uh, and that, and unfortunately. Um, there were a lot of students who didn't see the value in English. They would say, I live in Turkey, why do I need to learn English? Uh, so that was kind of step one was um, you know, showing them the value not only of a foreign language, but specifically of English language 
So when you're in Turkey, share for the audience, what's the perception of the United States among the Turkish people? Uh, it's definitely uh, very positive. Um, uh, you know, at least in the past, the U.S. and, and Turkey have had a, uh, a really good uh, relationship. Uh, it's, you know, they've been a very strong uh, political and military ally, uh, and kind of they're the only one uh, you know, in the area. Uh, so, yeah, as, as an American, uh, yeah, I would look down on it. Was, it I really don't feel like there was necessarily really strong opinions either way. Um, and there's a very, very strong Turkish pride, uh, which I think that the U.S. probably had in the past, and we're starting to, to lose it. But uh, basically, uh, every Turk thinks that Turkey is the greatest and the best. Uh, actually, probably Americans are the, are the same way, but... Um, it wasn't like they would look down on America. Uh, we were, uh, you know, political friends. Uh, they were very, very interested in U.S. politics and always wanted to talk to me about uh, the president and you know and what I thought about certain situations. So that was definitely, um, you know, a very positive thing. Okay. So you're in Turkey. You you get introduced to sunglasses. You become an expert on. On those, where in the process did you go from in the sunglass business while you were in Turkey, and then when you came back to the United States, what happened from that point? So it's kind of introduced um, while in Turkey, and uh, the conversation was relatively short. Uh, my friend Marvin just said, "Hey, are you coming back to teach next year?" And I said, "No, I, I think it's best that I go home." You know, we had a baby. I think we had some time in, in the United States. Um, and my friend Marvin said, uh, well, you know, what are you going to do? And I said, I don't know. I'm actually looking for a job. And his response is, I've just invested in a sunglass company. I'd like you to work for me. So uh, that, that was kind of the introduction. I started to learn about it. Uh, but that was, that was right at the end of my stay in Turkey. Uh, so coming back uh, to the United States, um, this is kind of where we were trying to iron out the details of the job. Um, yeah, I took some trips down, down to Florida to meet another business associate. Uh, again, just starting to build knowledge uh, about sunglasses and about what the job would, would entail. Uh, so it's probably more uh, July, maybe August or September uh, was, when the, was when I really started to hit the ground running. Um, I started you know, going through some smaller shows. Uh, just to represent sunglasses, because again, most people don't know that there are floating sunglasses out there. Uh, it's something that uh, it's just not everyone who's been around the water has lost a pair. So it's just trying to raise awareness and say, hey, these exist, and they're great, and they're quite affordable as well. Um, that was kind of September uh, you know, through December, so we were really pushed hard. Uh, and we actually decided to... Um, do some rebranding, uh, and we took a few months off there while we uh, worked on you know on our line and made a made a lot of uh, improvements to the lenses and uh, you know, some of the designs and styles to really come out with something that we thought uh, the American people would like better. Great. So, two questions I have with this, Dan, is number one. Can you share for the audience, because most of us have never been involved in developing a product line and, and how you go about that, picking a manufacturer, developing the specs, those kind of things. And the second question I wanted you to ask or answer is, what makes your product unique? And I know that'll be a longer answer, but if you could speak to the, the beginning of how, how you develop a product line. Okay. Uh, so in the sunglasses business, there's a lot of people... Uh, you know, manufacturing sunglasses uh, you know, overseas. There are a few in the States. Uh, it kind of depends on what your goal is. If you're more uh, on the style, if you're a designer, um, our glasses are much more for function. Uh, you know, we were looking for something that, um, you know, that would perform well. Uh, we want something that uh, is affordable. So, uh, you know, production in the United States was a real great uh, option. Um, and unfortunately, once you leave the States, uh, you know, sometimes uh, quality 
can be an issue as well. Um, so I, uh, I actually went to an extremely large uh, sunglasses show, and I met several hundred uh, manufacturers and, you know, kind of painstakingly going through, you know, looking at different um, you know, qualities, different you know, manufacturing styles, and, you know, to, to find something that was affordable but still had the quality standards that we would need to be alive in the United States. So it was, it, uh, I flew to Milan. I was there for about four days, and uh, it's kind of a whirlwind of uh, trying to go through all, you know, so many different uh, manufacturers to find one that really suited our brand. Okay, and so who did, who did you end up choosing, and how has that gone so far? Uh, it's gone really well. Uh, you know, unfortunately, our manufacturer is a bit of a trade secret. Oh, okay. Uh, but, yeah, it's, it's, uh, there were some companies that were really small, some were kind of big. Uh, you know, we found one that had uh, a really long, a long rapport. Um, and, again, it was all about these standards. And, um, you know, so, you know, when, when having things, you know, manufactured, uh, you know, over over in in Asia, uh, it's you know price is the bottom line, and they will cut quality, bring price down. So we, you know, we 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 define social order, so quality. Said, let's add in some cost uh, and bring that, you know, bring that quality up. But it's, yeah, uh, you know, we have extremely extremely good uh, customer service and reputation. Um, I could call them right now. Even though it's midnight there, they would answer the phone, uh, which I try not to do. But <laughs> you know, when I need something, that, uh, I can I can reach out and I get you know I get this response that's uh, very quick, and uh, you know, yeah, they've always been very uh, very helpful. And, you know, we we tell them we're a small brand, we're kind of new. Uh, you know, can you help us out on some of the order minimums and things? We we get a little bit of help, uh, but just a ton of support from them. It's been it's been. Uh, very positive experience for us. Right. So, and I, I have a sense this is going to be where the most, a lot of your enthusiasm is going to come. Tell tell the audience a bit about what, what makes your product unique. I know you mentioned earlier in the interview, pe- most people don't realize that there are different sunglasses for different situations. So if you could speak to that. So I think um, probably the thing that people understand most about different sunglasses for different situations uh, would be the lens selection, specifically the lens color. Um, and that's something that there has been a lot of research in. Um, it's something that I'm not necessarily an expert about, um, but every every lens, um, they actually run a test on it to show light transmission. Uh, and when people think of light, they you know, they might think of light as a single thing, that there's just, well, this is light, but there are different wavelengths of light which correlate to different different colors along the spectrum. Uh, so choosing a lens, you can actually uh, choose to allow a greater portion of a certain a certain wavelength of light um, so that you can see, you know, red better. So if, it, you know, if it's going to allow light in the red realm, kind of around uh, 600, uh, 680 nanometers or so. He said, that's, that's what I want to see more of. Let's block more of the other shorter wave. We could really customize the lens to say, I want to be able to see red better than all other colors and still black light. Um, so kind of the, uh, there's a few general, uh, lens things that people, a lot of people already know, or a lot of, a lot of fishermen know. Uh, if you're dealing with, uh, brown water, uh, a tan or a brown lens will actually uh, be be better. If you're on water at all, it should be polarized um, as well. Uh, and so I've gone in a lot of what are the what are the benefits of polarization? And um, again, thinking of light, I think people think of light as um, just kind of a straight straight ear and arrow. But the reality is that it is a wave. It's kind of going up and down or side to side or as really any angle, and all polarization does is it only allows light through at a certain orientation, let's say, you know, up and down or side to side, uh, so a polarized film is orientated a certain way to block light that is uh, 
loud light that's going kind of up and down ways, uh, and block light that's going side to side ways. Because as the light comes hits the water, it tends to be reflected uh, at the sideways wavelength. Uh, that's why polarized becomes so important around around water, or if there's rain, or off a car window, it's going to block out uh, that glaring light. Um, then even kind of going beyond that, um, the frames come into play uh, somewhat with what the frames are made out of. Uh, that's more along the lines of weight. Uh, but even just the shape of the frame uh, is is wind going to be an issue? Um, is light from the side going to be uh, an issue? So we have frames that are very thick on the side, uh, which are going to block, uh, you know, when light that's coming around the side of the sun, sunglasses. For some people, that's not important. Uh, you know, so if you're going to be driving a motorcycle, you definitely want uh, a pair of sun, sun, sunglasses that's going to block the wind. Uh, if you're a cyclist, you you want an adjustable nose piece uh, so that you can get the lens a proper distance from your face. Uh, if it's too close, uh, it, you know, it will fog up. If it's too far away, you get too much wind coming behind. So there's a lot uh, that can go into uh, the selection of a pair of sunglasses beyond just uh, what it looks like with the frame itself, uh, somewhat to what the frame is made out of. Um, that's more about weight. Uh, if you go for a run, wear a very heavy pair of sunglasses, the inertia of the sunglasses as you are running, as you're going up and down, uh, that will tend to want to come off your face. Uh, so if you're going to be doing something really active, you want a very light pair of, of sunglasses, uh, something with less mass, won't have as much uh, inertia, and won't tend to fly off your face as much. And so it's with that, again, people uh, walk in, pick up a pair, put it on their face, and say, hey, that's good. Uh, but the reality is that choosing uh, a lens or a lens shade uh, for your situation, um, you know, whether, whether you want it mirrored or not, but also the frame, what the frames weigh, how much they block the side, can be uh, a lot of strong considerations as well. Wow, that's <laughs> that's amazing how much customization is involved in that potentially. Uh, so. Yeah. So you, you've got the manufacturer in place. Are you at the point where you're selling product right now? Yes. Okay. Yes, we, uh, uh, we, we took a lot of time to really choose the manufacturer. Uh, took a lot of time uh, talking about uh, you know our line and you know, what we wanted it to do. Uh, we uh, we started out just with uh, really only have a few pairs out right now. It's kind of our starter line. Uh, but there's a lot that, uh, we're, that we're going to be moving forward with, uh, including uh, new frames, new frame styles, essentially some new uh, lenses uh, uh, as well. Here in the United States, there is a uh, – uh, our sunglasses are, are governed by the FDA, and there's a certain light transmission um, that, they, that they must uh, allow. And so uh, the most light you can block is 92%. They must transmit at least eight percent of light, uh, and you must be able to tell the difference between traffic lights. That's strictly for driving. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, there are a lot of people that have very, very sensitive eyes, and even the darkest pair of sunglasses you can get in the states isn't dark enough. Um, and most people don't want to go. Most companies don't want to go beyond that eight percent because they are then illegal to drive in. Um, but that's something that we have been looking uh, into. Um, so our, we have a we have a de- dedicated lens manufacturer. All they do is make lenses. Um, they're phenomenal, uh, very customizable. So I started to approach them uh, about darker lenses. I I want something. Uh, you know, can I get below eight percent? I was told, uh, well, that'd be illegal to drive in. I said, but if you're not driving, you can wear them. You can wear them at a baseball game. Uh, so I I started to get some samples and the. Seven percent, five percent, four percent, two percent, even. So uh, we're looking into going uh, into what's called Category Four uh, lenses, which are beyond just about anything you can really find uh, in the states without a prescription. And that's because of the liability of having an extra dark lens uh, with driving. So uh, we're still trying to discuss where you know uh, how free we want these. Or how how open we left it to be to people because there is a liability issue. But um, you know, going to shows, uh, we've come across a lot of people that uh, just very 
dogs can land. Uh, you know, and, and, you know, if, if the frame floats, that's also pretty nice too if you're kayaking. So it's something that uh, is not out yet, mm-hmm. but it's it something that we uh, put a lot of effort, a lot of a lot of research into, into, and again, try to find a manufacturer that is willing to produce lenses that the FDA uh, won't allow for driving. And, uh, trying to deal with the FDA as well is not the easiest thing in the world. <laughs> yeah, yeah that's, uh, that's, that's the future. Okay. Well, let's talk a little about your, 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 your line is called Umbra, U-M-B-R-A. What, what's the meaning of that word? Uh, so, uh, Umbra or, or Umbra. Uh, I'm sorry. That's used with, uh, eclipses. I, I think both pronunciations are fine. Um, but I tend to call it, uh, Umbra, so I, you know, I didn't want to come out uh, different late, later on. Uh, but that's a word that's used uh, to describe shadows. Uh, and the, the umbra of a shadow is the darkest part of a shadow. Uh, it's typically used with eclipses. Um, and then we had uh, several eclipses just this past year, including a solar eclipse. Uh, so, the, so there's going to be one spot on the Earth um, it's going to be darker than all the others. That's called the umbra. Uh, and then you're going to have other parts of the earth where the sun is being blocked, but not completely blocked because there's still light that's able to get around the moon. Um, so that's actually called the parabra. Uh, another example of the, of the umbra comes out if you've ever played uh, a sport in an arena at night. You have lights all around you. Uh, if, you're, if you think of uh, two lights pointed at the same same object, each light is going to cast a shadow. Uh, where two of those shadows uh, intersect, you have a darker shadow. That darker portion of the shadow is called the umbra of the shadow. So uh, being that we are trying to block the sun, uh, we figured, um, you, know, we, you know, we want something that was topical. And since we're looking at going with the category four lenses, the extra dark, darkest lenses out there, uh, over was a very fitting name for us. Very cool. So, in addition to all this, you've also decided to become a chemistry teacher. Can you talk about yeah. that a little bit? Of course, of course. Uh, so, some math business. Uh, it, uh, I pushed pretty hard on it uh, straight out of the gate, um, and yeah, with any startup you're going to have some you know, hiccups along the way. Uh, things don't always come quite as quickly. Uh, you know, as you want them to, uh, people don't tend to be as excited as I am about my body, and that's okay. Uh, so we uh, kind of take a, uh, I've taken a bit of a step back um, just from it being a full-time thing uh, to something that's a little more part-time. So I'm still sales manager for Port Umbra, uh, but, uh, you, know, I, you know, I'm looking for something with, you know, some assured longevity. Uh, and just my time over in Turkey, uh, you know, being able to teach, teach English, uh, there's definitely is such a value um, in knowing that you taught somebody something uh, and knowing that they wouldn't have known it, um, you know, without, without you. And I have um, this, this one story I love to tell. Uh, it, was my, uh, it was my second year in, you know, in Turkey, uh, and, you know, I've been teaching, I've been teaching. I kind of got a little fatigued. Uh, uh, I'm sorry, actually, it was, it, was, it was my first year in Turkey. My, my, my apologies. So, um, I got the team in my, in my teaching. March had rolled around. I decided I wanted to teach about March Madness because it was something I was passionate about. <laughs> uh, so, I came up with English words associated with uh, March Madness. And it can be used with any tournament. And for my lower level, it was win, lose, court, ball things like that, and they got more complicated, and for, uh, as I moved up to my upper level, I taught words uh, like the favorite to win, the number one seed, uh, the, the underdog, or the Cinderella story, and we had long conversations about what that was, and so I had taught a wide range of words to several hundred students, and uh, most of them didn't really care, and that's okay, but one student, uh, would, you know, he would come up to me every class and he would ask who had won the matches, uh, who had won the games. And I had, um, you know, I had a lot of my students actually fill out uh, their own bracket 
I did win. That was the only time I'd ever won a bracket contest. It was with people who didn't know what it was. Uh, the student had come up and looked, and a number 15 had beat a number 2. And the student pointed at that and said, Teacher, the underdog upsets the favorite. Hmm. And I nearly fell out of my chair. And I, and I thought to myself, he took three of my words and put them together. He learned that. And now he knows that he can use it. One day he will be talking to an American. He'll use those words. That American will not notice. And that's the beauty uh, of really teaching somebody something that's happening. to Sunglass is if people are interested is it is it a direct selling line do they have to go to a retailer how how are they available for people to purchase question I always like to leave guests with answering, Dan, is you've been involved with so many things. You've, you've got, you're a young person, but you've had such an interesting and varied life already. What legacy are you hoping to leave behind? Okay. Uh, I mean, I think I had to answer this question several years ago. Um, answer would been really different, uh, but now that uh, I have a child, it seems that there's been so much focus um, you know, on on the, the legacy of my family. Uh, when I was in college, uh, I was part of a Bible study with a guy named Scott Summer, and he, uh, he did something what I thought was really strange. Instead of having you know Bible study, uh, he said, "We're going to go. We're going to walk through the graveyard, and I want you to look at the gravestones. Just think. I want you to go along." We went, and it was like this really weird when I walk out of the graveyard. It was, uh, it was dusk. It was starting to get dark. And I don't remember uh, any of the things I read specifically, but I remember just reading the gravestones and seeing such random things or what I would consider such uh, unimportant things. And it's like all I have is this person's name and that when they're born, when they died, and this one phrase about them. And um, I started to think, like, what do I want that one phrase to be? Uh, it, you know, and I don't have it all figured out. I haven't decided uh, what I want my gravestones uh, to say yet. If you've seen uh, the Royal Tenet uh there's a really great, you know, option in there. Uh, if you haven't seen it, that's a funny thing to go check out. Um, but for me, I have traveled the world. I've been to 15 countries. Um, and it's like, I, you know, I'm going to impact this world in a certain way. And um, the main thing for me to leave a legacy is to, uh, is to raise, raise children who can do something, you know, greater than I can do. That uh, if I 
I impact the world in a small way and I die and I don't pass any of that of that on, that's the only effect that I would have. Uh, but say I want to raise my daughter to be somebody who um, instead of art, instead of above other daughters, I guess. I grew up maybe that's a strange thing to say. Mm-hmm. But uh, I wanted to have a passion of the outdoors. I wanted to have a passion for traveling. I want her to understand the world around her. I want her to respect other cultures. And, uh, and that's been that, you know, live, living, living overseas, living in, living in Turkey, it's 99% Muslim. Um, and when I watch the news and I see what the news says about, about Muslims, it almost kind of makes me cringe. I say, they're not all like that. It's not, you know, and that's only because I've been overseas. I've had so many experiences. Uh, I wish everyone would travel, but I don't. I can't influence uh, everyone. Uh, so I want to make sure that that you know my daughter and my future children uh, tra- travel, see the world, uh, understand and respect other uh, other cultures, and can make uh, important decisions in their life because of it. Uh, it's a great legacy to leave behind, Dan. Yeah. Dan, we're going to have to have you back on the show. Uh, down the road to talk about give the audience an update on how the sunglass line is going and mm-hmm. and your teaching as well I love that I really love that well thank you so much for being on the show today we really appreciate it okay. I appreciate it being, being, uh, being on here it's definitely a uh, a fun way to spend some time yep well if you could hold on to the line just for a moment Dan Thank you for tuning in to the Outstanding Ohioan Show. This was episode 47, and my guest today was Dan Robinette, who is the sales manager of Umbra Sunglasses and is also an aspiring chemistry teacher. Thank you for listening. Please leave a rating on iTunes or Stitcher, and have a great day.